Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Judges in your Old Testament. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, and then go find Hebrews 11.32. Judges chapter 6 and Hebrews 11.32. Let's all stand together, if you would, and we'll start in Judges chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. You read along silently as I read along, and if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, allow them to look on with you, if you would. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come into, into, into Gaza and, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it, it came to pass... When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak tree, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress, to uh, hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now keep your finger here, because we'll be back there. But go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to look at one verse. That's verse 32. Verse 32 says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather together to do so freely and to hear your word preached. We pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear this morning. We pray, God, that Uh, you would have the freedom in each and every one of our hearts to be able to speak to our hearts about things that 
that uh, are in our lives or maybe that need to be in our lives that need to be changed. We ask God that you get a hold of our attention, get a hold of our, 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 our hearts and our minds. We ask this morning that you would have your will and your way in this service, but with both speaker and hearer alike. Father, I just pray that your will and your way will be accomplished through the preaching of the word of God, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Notice something in Hebrews 11, it says, what and what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah. And then he says, David and Samuel. This is the Faith Hall of Fame and four of those guys, after he gets done with some of the main ones, he mentions those four and all four of them were men that were, were individuals that were alive during the time of Judges. Uh, judges was a, was a different time period uh, in, in the scriptures. Over and over again, in the book of Judges, it says every man did that which is right in his own eyes. In other words, it was pretty much anarchy. It was pretty much a real mess. It was uh, uh, do what you think is right, and, and of course the Bible says that uh, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, and that's exactly what they found over and over and over again. But you, you read through the book of Judges, and, and I don't know if you do this, I know I've, I've talked with some folks here just recently within the past few months, and uh, they, they came to the same conclusion. We are, we are in America today. We are living in the book of Judges. Every man is doing that which is right in their own eyes. And that can become sometimes kind of discouraging. Uh, it, it can, uh, you know, you expect things to go one way and they end up going another way. And uh, it's, it's because of the times that we're living in. But... Understand this, that even in those times, God has a desire to use his people. And he mentions four people that were alive during the book of Judges. They showed great faith. They showed great trust in God. And one of those people was Gideon. And we're going to take a look at the, at the life of Gideon this morning uh, and, and take a look at what Gideon had that caused God to want to use him. And again, uh, it, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it was a tough age for Gideon to live in, just like it may be a tough time for us to live in, but God still has a desire, and that desire is to use us, but we need to be in the right place and with the right heart so that God can use us the way that he desires. And understand, Gideon was was probably one of the most least likely people that you would pick to be used as the next judge of Israel. And the reason why I say that is because of where we find him. He's in a, he's in a, a, a wine press. He's treading out the wheat. He's in that wine press treading out the wheat because the enemy is about to come down and to sweep down through and rob them of all their harvest. And he's hiding from the enemy. Not exactly the kind of guy that you would expect that God would use in a mighty way to overcome the enemy, the Amalekites. And yet, that's exactly who God used. And in fact, 
uh, I, I love this about the narrative. If you look with me in verse 12 of Judges chapter 6, it, it, it's the angel addressing Gideon. And he, he says to the coward who's cowering in the wine press, who is uh, treading out the wheat there, he says, he says, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. He did not say what he saw. He, saw, he, he, he expressed what he knew Gideon could become. Gideon had great potential. And he had great potential because of the things that were in his heart and the things that were in his life. There were some things that qualified Gideon to be used of God. And we're going to take a look at those things this morning. First of all, look in with me, if you would, in verse 13, the next verse. It says, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Talks about the fathers passing it on to the sons. And in the book of Psalms, you see a phrase a lot. We have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us. And what they did was they, they explained how that God was strong in their behalf as a nation. Now they're living in the book of Judges, and that's gone. That just is, is not happening. And uh, uh, he, he understood his not only Israel's state, but because he was living in Israel, he understood his state as well. Um, he knew that, that God was far from Israel. Um, there, was, there was no lack of problems. Uh, God made it very clear that it was cause and effect because they had done some things and turned their back on God, and therefore God had turned his back on them. And there was a lack of blessing. Um, this is one of the things that, that you're seeing in America today. Uh, one of the things that uh, you hear a lot, uh, people talk about that have, that have lived a few years you know, they look back and say, oh, I don't remember in my school, and I don't remember in my school where there were shootings. We, we didn't hear about that uh, when we were growing up. Now we've got shootings. Why? why? And there were several of them this week. Uh, it's becoming almost a regular occurrence in America. What in the world is going on? You know what I believe a lot of it is? Is God's hand used to be like this on America, and it was a protective hand. That protective hand has been lifted. And there's, there's things that are being allowed to take place now that I don't believe God, God allowed before. And you say, well, it has to do with the character of the people. And yes, all that is, is, is uh, uh, brought into the mix. But the bottom line is uh, you can see where God's protective hand is pulled back in America, and it's not the way that it used to be. And, and God had forsaken Israel, but God had forsaken Israel because Israel first forsook God. And, and you can't help somebody who doesn't recognize their own need. And Gideon saw what was going on in, in the nation, 
and he knew he was, he was part of that nation. Um, one of the things that is absolutely essential for God to help any of us, we need to understand what our own needs are. For instance, when you got saved, you know, a person can't get saved if you don't think you're lost. Uh, you can't be saved if you, don't, if you don't think that you're heading for hell. Um, that needs to be clear in a person's mind. Why? Because that's a need that we have. And so therefore, if, if we're heading for hell because we've not trusted Christ as Savior and because our sins are not yet forgiven, then that means that we have a need. We have a need of a Savior. And you can't help people that don't think they have a need. Uh, if, if they don't think they have a need, then they're not going to look for help. Needy people know that they need God. And as you read down through here, you can tell that, that Gideon was observing what was going on in his country. And he saw very clearly that, that there was a need. In the, in the book of Revelation, uh, seven churches are addressed. And the very last church is the church of Laodicea. And without going into a full explanation, I believe we're living in that age of church history, the Laodicean church age. And one of the characteristics of the Laodicean church age is that they perceived, the Laodiceans back then during that time in that church, perceived that they had need of nothing. When you get to that point in your Christian life, you are on very, very dangerous ground. Uh, we need to realize that we constantly and continually need God. And if, if, there are, uh, if there are things going awry in our country, and there are, and if there are, you know, we, we spend so much time sometimes looking at all the political ramifications, and I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about us, we forget that that's really not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is spiritual. It's not political. It's spiritual. And this country does not have the same attitude about God that it had 50 years ago. Certainly doesn't have the same attitude about God that it had 100 years ago. And those, those things have changed. And uh, when, when we as individuals think that we don't have any needs, then we get in real trouble. And Gideon was not that way. He had a conviction about his own state. He had an understanding. He realized he lived in a nation that turned its back on God, and therefore it put him in a, in a perilous position and in a very needy position where he needed God. Secondly, um, look with me down in verse 15. And this is, this is Gideon talking to him, talking to the angel as the angel proposes that God's going to get ready to use him. And he says in verse 15, he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, what, what he said was, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. He says, you know, if you're going to pick somebody, pick somebody with a, with a better heritage than what I have. Pick somebody with better abilities than what I have. But don't, don't pick me because I'm not qualified. He had absolutely no confidence in himself and in the flesh. We, we talk about the importance of having self-confidence in society today. And, 
And honestly, I think that is uh, misplaced confidence. Uh, when you have confidence in your own flesh, when you have confidence in your own self, you're going to be sadly disappointed someday. Uh, what we need to have confidence in is, in is in God and in our Savior. Uh, but he, he had no confidence in his own flesh. That is not a bad place to be. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. You look at Moses. Uh, God told Moses that he wanted to use him to call his people out of slavery. And he said, look, God, he says, I can't even talk right. Uh, you don't want to use me. I'm not competent. God loves to hear that. <laughs> he loves to use people who don't think they're competent in and of themselves because when the pressure's on, he knows what they'll do. They'll cry out to him. Uh, I remember the very first time that... I, I ever had the opportunity after I surrendered to preach the gospel to, to preach a message. I don't remember the message. I don't remember a lot about the particulars, but I do remember what my attitude was like before I got up to preach. And that whole week before, I prayed about that thing more than I've ever prayed in my life. Why? Well, because I was scared to death. You know, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> It's not a bad thing to be, be put in an uncomfortable position where, where you have absolutely zero confidence in yourself, but you can have all kinds of confidence in God and that God can get you through. Now, you know, don't, don't go the woe is me route where that's all you think about and then you don't think about the competence of God, but to realize that you're not competent, but God is competent. And he felt incompetent, he felt inadequate, he saw, saw no hope within himself, and, and he was right. There was no hope in him, but there was hope in, in God, his Savior. And, and he, he, he said the statement, he said, wherewith, wherewith shall I save Israel? He knew he didn't have the power within himself to save Israel, but God did. And God did use him to, to turn things around in Israel. Um, he said, I am the least. And again, that's a, that's a good perspective to have. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You know, I don't think there's one person here that thinks that the Apostle Paul was the worst sinner on the face of the earth at the time that he was trying to live for God. And yet, after salvation, and while he was ministering, and while he was exercising the call of God upon his life, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That perspective he never lost. He realized that in and of himself, he didn't have what it, what it took and that he needed God desperately. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse, uh, verse 9, he, he uh, uses the term the least of the apostles. That was how he referred to himself, the least of the apostles. And, and when, he, when he penned those words, it was right around 59 AD, uh, you know, he just did not see uh, that, that, uh, that he was great, but he saw that he had a great God. In Ephesians chapter 
3 and verse 8, he, again, he uses that same time, type of terminology, who am less than the least of all saints. I mean, when, when he said it, when he said it uh, 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 previously, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Then he went and said, not only am I the least of the apostles, but he says, I'm, I'm the least of all saints. Uh, problems, I'm convinced, come into our lives that are oftentimes insurmountable to us so that we can see just how insufficient we are. God doesn't do that to pummel us. God doesn't do that to just see how much pain and difficulty we can take. He does that, I think, to remind us. Um, you know, over the years, I have, I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in, in just about all of your lives. Uh, one thing after another comes into your life that you have absolutely no control over. There's a reason for that. Because God has control, you don't. And it's good to be reminded that you don't. It's good to be reminded what your position is. And the reason why that is is because that is what keeps us humble before him. Uh, that kind of an attitude. And that's really what he had. He had, he had a, a very humble attitude. He had a very, he had a very humble spirit. And because he had that humility before God, uh, God could use him greatly. There's a third, third thing about, about Gideon. Um, he was attentive to God's word and attentive to the, the Spirit's promptings in his life. Uh, when God spoke, he listened. When God pointed something out to him, he listened. Uh, he didn't ignore the voice of God. And of course, back then, they didn't have the scriptures like we have today, and they, they got visitations like, like he got with the angel. Uh, but uh, every time that God tried to get Gideon's attention, he got it because he wanted to listen. Uh, he did not ignore the things that God was pointing out to him. He took notice when God spoke. He was, he was tuned in to the Lord. One of my favorite New Testament stories, uh, accounts, is of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And one of the reasons why it's so dear to my heart is because that was the passage of Scripture that God used to show me why it was so essential for me to, to get scripturally baptized. I had not been scripturally baptized by immersion uh, because I after I had gotten saved, because I thought, well, you know, I was baptized as a baby. I didn't have an understanding of, of the difference there and, and that that wasn't really Bible baptism at all. Somebody approached me about that and showed me Acts chapter 8. But after I followed the Lord in scriptural baptism, shortly thereafter, um, I started to delve into Acts 8. And the thing that really impressed me about Acts 8 is Philip. You know, Philip is, is being used of God in the city, and there's people getting healed, and there's miracles taking place, and all kinds of things are going on. And God comes down and whispers in Philip's ears and, ear and says, I want you to go to the desert. I mean, he's seeing God do all kinds of wonderful things in the city. And God comes down and says, I want you to go to the desert. Well, what's going on in the desert? Well, as far as he knows, absolutely nothing. There's not much there. 
And yet, because God spoke to him, he was sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He followed the Lord, and he did what God told him to do. When he got there, he saw a black man in a, in a chariot who had been coming from Jerusalem. Their paths just happened to cross at the right time. And uh, uh, he had a portion of the scripture from Isaiah that had to do with the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to make a long story short, he joined himself to the chariot. He, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he began to preach to him Jesus. He, he trusted Christ as Savior. He got baptized and he went back to Ethiopia. What if Philip wasn't tuned in? What if Philip ignored the voice of the Holy Spirit? That man wouldn't have gotten saved. You know, God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through promptings of the spirit of God that's in us on a daily basis. And, and uh, how do we respond? God speaks to us in messages like this, in preaching and in teaching the word of God. And it is absolutely imperative that we have an ear for those things. And when we see a connection, you know, I, I, I always refer to it as connecting the dots you know, you see truth here, you see a situation in your life there, you put the two together and you say, whoa, I got to take care of something. Uh, whether it's making a positive move, a negative move, pulling something out, putting something in, whatever it might be, just having an attentive ear to God's word and having an attentive ear to the spirit of God. That's why I so often pray just before a message, Lord, give us ears to hear. Uh, give us, give us a, a, a heart that's good ground for the gospel so that when we see something that needs to be attended to, we take care of it. We don't just let it go. Um, you know, Paul got the Macedonian call. He went immediately. Uh, Peter got the call to go to Cornelius. He went immediately. Uh, we need to be sensitive uh, to, to, uh, to, to God, his spirit, and to his word. Um, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I was just reading this the other day and noticed something. Isaiah chapter 6. Look in verse 1. It says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I, this is uh, Isaiah speaking, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Uh, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, and now this is where Isaiah is connecting what he sees with who he is and what he, what he is, and he's allowing God to speak to his heart through this whole incident. He said, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the 
tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now notice, he did not say that directly to Isaiah. He just said that in general. He said, who is going to go? And because Isaiah was already tuned into God, look at Isaiah's uh, response. Then said I, here am I, send me. Why did he say, here am I, send me to a general appeal? He said that because he was tuned in, because he had already responded uh, to what God had said to him and what God had done in his life. And in the case of, of, of uh, Gideon, Gideon just simply believed God. He, he, he knew what God wanted him to do, and he was willing to do it. Now, he had... You know, it's, it's obvious as you, as you read the rest of the chapter and you read about the life of Gideon in general, he had, he had some hesitations. Sure he did. He went into areas where he was not comfortable and familiar with. But he believed God, and that's why he shows up in the Faith Hall of Fame during the time of the book of Judges when every man did that which is right in his own eyes. I'll tell you what, that, that, whole, that whole thing, as I, as I saw that, and I never really noticed that before, that the first four people in that verse that we read uh, are in the, the judges' period. Man, what an encouragement that gives you and I. God can use us, too, in a time where, where every man is doing that, which is right in his own eyes, but we've got to be available. We've got to be ready. We've got to have the, the things existent in our lives that, that, uh, that, that Gideon had. Here's another, here's another thing. Look down in chapter 6, verses 19 through 22. Verse 19 says, And Gideon went, went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket, and he put the, the, uh, the, the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak. And presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the, the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose a fire out of the rock. And and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Whenever, whenever uh, Gideon was given a task, he always did it to the T. When he was given uh, small things to do or when he was given big things to do, he always did them exactly the way that he was told to. In other words, he was obedient in the little things, and he was obedient to the very last detail. Uh, when he went into battle, the way that, well, first of all, uh, in gathering an army, uh, he did exactly what God told him to do, and God kept thinning that army out, and thinning that army out, and thinning that army out. And I'm sure by the time he ended up with the, 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 the few hundred that he had, 
he looked at those guys and, said, and, and I'm sure thought to himself, said, how in the world are we going to do this? Well, they weren't going to do it. God was going to do it for them. But, uh, but he was willing to do whatever God told him to do. Uh, and it made no difference how big the task was or how small the task was. And, you know, in Scripture, uh, the Bible says if we're, if we're faithful in little, uh, God will make us ruler over much. And, and uh, one thing that every person in here can always be is you can be faithful. When God tells you to do something, you can do it. And, it, it, you know, it's a choice that you have to make. But the Bible says it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. We don't have to be terribly intelligent. We don't have to be terribly good looking. We don't have to be terribly talented. But man, you have to be faithful. And that just simply means when God tells you to do something, you do it and you do it uh, to, in, in every single detail. Everyone can be faithful Everyone can be obedient, and that means that everyone, everyone, everyone who's saved can be used of God. Then another, another characteristic he had, uh, look in, in chapter 6, down in verse 34. 634 says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. He had the power of the, of the Spirit upon him. And uh, you can't do God's work without it. Over in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, Be filled with the Spirit. Be, drunk, be not drunk with wine wherein is success, but be filled with the Spirit. And before that, he talks about, actually in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, he talks about all the things that we need to avoid and all the sin that needs to be pushed out of our lives. Why? Because God doesn't want to use a dirty vessel. He wants to use a clean vessel. He wants to use a vessel that's surrendered to him. One that w w says, listen, I'm not in control. You're in control. And that's, that's, that's as, as, as boiled down and simple as the power of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit is. It's essentially just telling God, listen, I'm not in control. You're in control. It's not my way um, or my will that's important. It's your way. And it's your will that's important. And, and I want to do that which pleases you. Uh, and in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, you find, again, you find that be filled with the Spirit. And then right after that, it talks about the uh, uh, responsibilities that a wife has to a husband and then that a husband has to a wife. And then that a uh, little bit later on in the next chapter, he talks about the responsibilities of a uh, uh, a father to a children, the children to the father, uh, the employer to the employee, and vice versa. And uh, you find all of that stuff taking place, but it starts with being filled with the Spirit and allowing the Spirit of God to have control. You can go through the motions, and you can do right, and you can do right without God's power, and then you can do right with God's power. Uh, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in preaching. I've seen it in teaching. I've seen it in soul winning. I've seen it just in every aspect of the Christian life. Uh, don't just do it. Do it with the power of God upon you. The reason why uh, Gideon got the victory was not because 
Gideon brought the victory. God brought the victory to Gideon. And God's power was upon him. And because God's power was upon him, God used him in a great way. God uses submissive people and God uses clean people. And he fills us with, with his spirit and gives us the power to do things, even the, even the everyday things of life, like the family responsibilities, like the uh, uh, employment responsibilities that we have. Uh, he, he gives, it's necessary for us to have his power in every single area. You, you go to the, to, the, uh, to the book of Acts, and you find that over and over again, it talks about the fact that the uh, apostles and disciples were filled with the Spirit of God. Well, that's why great things happened. It wasn't just because they went through the motions. It was because God was with them in power. Now, God's with you as a, as a saved person. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside. Uh, and he's always with you. He said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. But is his power upon you? That's the question. Is his power upon you? And that is dependent upon us being clean and upon us being submissive. Next thing that we find is that uh, he, had a, he had a willingness to do that which was uh, not something that I'm sure he wanted to do. Look with me in verses 25 through 29 of uh, Judges 6. Judges 6, 25 it says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the, the second bullock of, of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. So his father was involved in, in Baal worship, which was false worship. And he says, I want you to go there at night and, and throw it down. Wreck it. Verse, uh, and, and it's your dad's. Verse 26 and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a, a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him, and so it was, because he feared his father's household and the, the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Now, you know, you look at that and you say, well, the guy was a little bit of a chicken. Well, I probably would have been too. Uh, you know, he says, listen, he says, I, I don't think I can do it. I'm willing to do it, but I'm afraid to do it during the day. He says, but I'm, I'm willing to do it at night. Obviously, it was something he really wasn't thrilled about doing at all. But God told him to do it. So he said, okay. Uh, if God, if, if that's what you told me to do, whether I like it or not, that's immaterial. I'm just willing to be obedient. And in verse 28, it says, And when the men of the city arose in the morning, behold, uh, the altar of Baal was cut down, and the grove was, was uh, uh, cut down that was by it. And the, the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who had done this thing? And, and when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. So he was willing to throw down the, the altar of Baal, his father's altar, and to confront the, uh, the, the false religions. He didn't just throw down the wrong altar. He built the right one. Uh, he, 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 he cast down that which was wrong, and he 
erected that which is right. And by doing so, he was letting Israel know that you are wrong. Your worship is heading in the right in the wrong direction. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping Baal, and you need to take care of this thing. Now, now I believe God used that as a test, just to see if He would be willing to do that, which was something that he probably did not want to do. And again, you can see that because he said, look, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it at night. I don't want everybody seeing me and seeing what I'm doing. But after he did it, everybody knew who it was. They knew that it was, was, they knew that it was Gideon. And I believe part of that was because of his, I think his reputation had already preceded him. But he was willing to do that which he didn't like to do. You know, I, I, was, I was raised in an unsafe home, didn't get saved until I was 17 years old. But uh, my second mom uh, used to often tell me, I would complain about something that she'd ask me to do and, and was very vocal in my complaints. And she, she'd look at me, she said, David, she says, you need to wake up. She says, you need to understand that life is full of stuff you don't want to do. That's life, tough. Just, just buck up and do it anyway. That was my mother. That was my dad telling me that. That was my mother telling me that. She was tough. Uh, but she was absolutely right. There's a lot of things you don't want to do, but are you willing to do them if God tells you to do them? And that's the question. And he was willing to do that. And then the, the last thing is that he had, he had the peace of God even while he was doing things that were undesirable to do, he had the peace of God through grace. Look at verses 16 and 17 uh, in, in this passage. Uh, verse, verse 16, 616, it says, The Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the many nights as one man. And he said unto him, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then showest me a sign that thou talkest with me. He said, listen, I'm going to be with you. He says, I'm, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you the grace that you need. And uh, uh, he, he had that grace and he had that peace. Even when he was doing things that were, were uh, un, unlikable tasks that had to be done. Uh, take your, your Bibles and turn with me in your New Testament to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And I believe that this was, this was an attitude that, that uh, Gideon had. It's obvious through his life that he trusted God. And one of the reasons why he showed up in in Hebrews chapter 11 is because of that faith and that trust in the Lord. And in the New Testament, we're admonished this way. In verses 17, uh, excuse me, verses 6 and 7 of uh, Philippians chapter 4. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. 
And, and Gideon had that peace, and he had that peace because he had that grace. And when we have that peace with God, not just the peace, uh, or rather peace of God, not just the peace with God that we get at salvation because he tears down that wall of enmity, but then also the peace of God that we know that what we're doing is right, what we're doing is, is uh, what God wants us to do, that we're, we're following his direction, we're, we're doing so in his power, not in our own, that we're not in and of ourselves, uh, we don't have what's, what's necessary, but God's got everything that, that I need in order to fulfill his will in my life. Uh, because of those attitudes that Gideon had, Gideon was greatly used of God. He was used of God in a time where every man did that which is right in his own eyes, just like today. Just as God used Gideon, God can use you. God can use me. God can use anyone who surrendered like Gideon was. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you would bring to our attention this morning how necessary it is. First of all, for us to have a desire, and that's a desire to be used of you, and to realize that we have a need. We are a needy people. Uh, we can't live in the day and age that we're living in and not have some of that garbage and some of that slop slop over into our lives and muddy us up. And Lord, uh, that's happened to me more times than I even want to think about. And uh, Father, uh, it just points to the fact that we so de desperately need you. You allow things to happen in our lives that point to the fact that we cannot do this on our own. And sometimes, uh, Lord, we get into the mode of just going through the motions. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd help us to see that even today and help us to see how desperately we need you, how, how uh, desperately we need your power on us, even for the little things in life. Like Gideon, when he was given a small task, he did it. When he was given a big task, he did it. He did the big ones because he learned on the small ones. And Lord, he saw that the small ones were just as important because they were things that you wanted him to do. Father, may we see that in our own lives. God, I pray that you, you would show us what's necessary to be added to our lives or subtracted from our lives this morning so that just like Gideon, in a time when every man's doing that which is right in his own eyes, we can be used of you. Lord, I, I trust that that is the desire of every saved person here this morning. God, may we just be used of you and may we be in that position where you can and desire to use us. Work in hearts this morning, show us, God, what we need, and then help us to respond for us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.